This podcast is offered by Wildflowers and Sangha. A Dharma Talk by Roshi Amy to SLA Hollowell. So, good evening, everyone. Uh, a year ago today was the last time that we sat together in uh, in our space at uh, near the Bastille in Paris. Um, it was Joa and Nina and me um, that night. I remember it very well because I was being very careful about social distancing and I had the impression that Joe and Nina thought I was kind of exaggerating, but um, uh, and uh, what I didn't know at the time was that I was already infected with the virus. Um, it was the next day that I started feeling symptoms. So a year ago tomorrow, um, and uh, I've been thinking a lot all week about this. Um, you know, these kind of anniversaries, they, they put a different focus on, on what has, where we've been and what we've lived through and where we are now. Um, and so on Sunday, I was thinking about how I went to the theater um, Théâtre Gérard Philippe in Saint-Denis, and um, I'm quite sure that's where I was infected. Uh, the last time I've been to the theater in a year, which I'm sad about. Um, and uh, so I, I've really been looking back over the year and um, as well as looking now. And it's hard to do one without the other. Um, and, you know, I could think, well, um, how, how has, how does the fact that I went to that play on that day, um, how has that changed my life forever? And, um, but at the same time, every moment changes my life. Uh, every, every breath is a new beginning, you know. Um, every in, inhale and every exhale. Um, And I, I think one of the, one thing that I, and I'm not quite sure how to, how to approach this, but one thing that has been so important for me, and I've talked about this before, was um, I read, I was reading when I was in my sick bed the first time, because as some of you know, I've been in the sick bed twice in the past year, um, and still have ongoing symptoms, you know, what we call long COVID. So, um, 
and the first time I, among the books I read was a book by Michel Serre, a, a French philosopher, um, which I can't remember the title, but it's, it's I've, I've told this before. The title is Holier, Le Holier, to, to, um, it's a, it's playing on the word religion and the origin of the word religion is to connect. Relier. And in French, we say relier, so it's to connect. And so he, the whole book is about, it was the last book he wrote and it was actually published after he died, um, was connecting the various threads of the various religions and religious points of view. And even within, within Christianity, the different ways of looking at things. And one of, the, one of the things he said that was so, so important for me and still is, was the idea that um, light, so in French, lumière, not only clarifies, but it burns, it warms, right? And he was saying this in the context of what in our tradition we would call wisdom. You know, we say enlightenment. So to be enlightened, the light makes clear, it's bright, but compassion, that's where it burns. That's the burning and or love. Um, and that I think that for most of my practice, of course, I knew this. I didn't think of it in these terms until I read that. But I just by, by my natural path and temperament have always focused much more on the, the light, the enlightenment, the wisdom aspect of the practice, more so than the burn, the warmth, the heart, the compassion, love aspect. It, this does not mean that I had not experienced the warmth and the heart and the love and the compassion. It's just my natural tendency was much more towards the wisdom side. And we all have our affinities and different teachers emphasize different things and different traditions emphasize different things. Um, the Zen tradition, the Zen school is much more a wisdom focused school and practice. Although we do, we do take into account compassion and we do talk about it but it's really about waking up. And the emphasis on, is on waking up to the oneness. And then we assume that if you see that, then naturally you will see the diversity and the compassion will arise. That's kind of the basic assumption. And that's true in my experience, that is true. However, in this experience I had in this past year, um, and I'm not the only one, I'm sure, 
um, there was really um, an awakening for me of the burn, the burning side in a way that I had never experienced before. And when I think back to what I was saying at this time last year, before I truly ended up in bed really, really sick, um, I, I can hear that what I was saying was not fully embodying the, the burn. I haven't looked back to the talks. I know that Joao and some of you here maybe are doing, are participating in this project to transcribe the talks from January to December of this past year, but I haven't looked at them yet. There's a lot who, that have already been transcribed. And I know that I will probably be not too happy with what I read from January and February, um, and maybe even the beginning of March. Uh, because I know what's missing. And it doesn't mean that what I was telling was not true or was not my experience or was wrong in some way. Just from my position now, from my experience now, it was limited. And what I'm saying now is limited compared to what I will say a year from now, probably. Um, there's room for growth. There's room for, for developing, for um, cultivating, for deepening. And I, I've, I've really am amazed to see how that has transpired in this past year, not only for me, but this Sangha. I see the same thing in all of you um, and in our Sangha as a whole. And I'm, I'm really touched by that. I think we probably reflect the greater world as well to, to a different extent. You know, I think there has been an, a heart awakening um, in the world. Um, and I think we probably can't see exactly how yet, but um, encountering what we have encountered, what we have encountered um some the deep disruptions to our everything we held to be true um everything we were accustomed to thinking doing being has all been disrupted um and some of us have lost family members maybe some of us have been sick some of us know people who've been sick. Some people have lost their jobs. Some people have lost their homes. Um, some people have just lost their, what they consider their freedom to go out and have a drink with friends at the pub. Um, it's, it's vast. Children have lost the soci socializing in schools. Um, some children have even lost the schooling because they don't have access. They don't have parents who can help them. They don't have internet, or whatever. Um, it's unlimited, the losses we have, we have experienced. Um, 
And for me, in my loss of health, of a certain habit of health, um, as, as I've said before, that really was a strong experience, a deep, deep experience of uh, vulnerability and humility. Um, after the phase of how can this be happening to me passes, um, there's this deep humility of I am not anything special. Um, and none of us are in that sense. That, and this, there, was, there was a great liberation in that. But that's where the burning began. That's where the, the burn, humility is, a, is like fire. Um, and I really understood what Michelle Serre was saying. And I remembered also, and I went and got this book today because I, I went, took this book off my shelf today because um, I remembered the, the painter Nicolas de Stav, a French, uh, Russian actually, origin painter. Um, who, um, who, who I was obsessed with a few years ago. I don't know if any of you remember me talking about him. Uh, one of my various obsessions, along with Joyce and Giacometti and some other artists. But uh, 2014, the book says. So it was you know, seven years ago. And I was obsessed with him at the time. Um, And I remembered something about this thing about burning that he had said, and I managed to find it in his book. Um, he said, I'll say it in French, on n'éclaire pas sans brûler. So we, we don't have, anybody have a good translation for that in English? It's kind of, um, we don't. You can't shed a light. Right? Without burning? Yeah. Yeah, maybe something like that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we can, we think we can, but the true light is accompanied by the burn. You know, we know if you put your hand close to the light bulb, it burns. Um, we go in the sun, that it's warm. Even this morning in my, my house, uh, there was a moment when the sun came out, it rained a lot today, but there was a moment when the sun came out and I went and sat on the couch in the, in the sun pouring in and it was warm, it was really warm. And it also was light, you know, it was lighter than the shadow was for the other part of the room. It wasn't dark the other part of the room, but it wasn't as light as where the sun was. Um, the thing with Nicolas Stahl is that he, uh, the title of his book is actually Une Illumination Sans Précédent. So, um, an illumination, an unprecedented illumination. Um, 
the tragic, the tragedy of Nicolas de Stal is that he went so far into it that he ended up committing suicide. Um, he was after the perfect line. The, the, the très parfait, he said. And he, he was never satisfied with what he was doing. And yet he made these beautiful, beautiful paintings. And he worked at it and worked at it and worked at it. And his paintings became more and more, um, more and more less, let's say. And, you know, it became almost like the only thing would be just one, one stroke. But even that was too much for him. Um, and maybe we could say he, he, he went too much into the burn without the light, maybe. Because the, the heat of that was too, it was too extreme. Um, now, my experience this year was nothing like that. Um, but the more that, the more that light could enter, I mean, we come back to Leonard Cohen again too, the more that the light could enter through these cracks, because as I said, I became more and more full of cracks, more and more vulnerable, more and more humble, the more that light could come in, the more warmth there was, the more heat. And that's how I experienced this, you know, what I said is really the only thing that all of this is about is love. Um, not holding back anymore from it, from the burn, from the warmth, from the heat. Uh, because I couldn't, I had been, I was put into such a situation where I couldn't, there was no way to stop it anymore. And our culture as a whole maybe is, is going in that direction to a certain extent. Um, that we're heading somewhere where we can't, there's no going back now, you know, I think. Um, However, we're still in the process of trying to keep out the light, you know, keep out the warmth as a society, let's say. Um, this, is a, this, is a, this is a huge generalization I'm making, but it's kind of what I think we, could, we can feel if we shed the light, you know, if we shine the light on, on what's happening without getting caught up in our opinions about it. Um, just look at your own life and see what has changed. And, in, and look at what you've given up. Look at what you've lost. Um, look at the compromises you've made. Look at the places in which you're frustrated, in which you're angry, in which you're bored, in which you're tired, because there's all of that. You know, often when I talk to people about these issues, you know, and so many people say, oh, well, we're not gonna, we can't live like this forever. And it's immediately, um, there's immediately this absence of perspective because 
everything changes. We won't live like this forever. We don't know how we will live, but it's not going to be like this forever. Whatever this is, you know. Um, and the true humility is to just acknowledge the difficulties, acknowledge the loss, acknowledge the vulnerability that we feel. The you know, all of the emotions that we're feeling and, and say, well, this is, am I willing to live this moment as it is? Am I willing to feel the burn of this moment? Um, and that's true of life in, during the pandemic or life not during the pandemic. Um, your life as it is, are you willing to, as I'm, and I'm plagiarizing my darling brother, Scott, um, am I willing to live this? Sometimes we don't have, a, I mean, actually we don't have a choice because we can't live another life. So, we're being pushed into this corner where we don't really have a choice. So I was pushed into the corner of my bed with, am I willing to live this? Well, I didn't have a choice, you know? So yeah, I am. I want to live. And this, this is what it is. Well, I want to live this thing. And that changes everything actually. Um, so, um, that's one of the lessons of this year for me. And it has continued to deepen since this day last year, um, when I was, wouldn't say half blind, but almost. <laughs> um, and I think for our Sangha, this has been an amazing year, a phenomenal year. Uh, I mean, really, Sangha is, is, is so precious. And what, what makes this practice what it is, is Sangha. Frank Roshi, who talked a few weeks ago here, said to me, oh, it was so nice to see your Sangha. And some people he knew already, others he didn't. And he said, there were so many Portuguese. And I said, well, yes, uh, I have lots of students in Portugal. And he, Frank, has never met them, except a few that he met when he came to Lisbon but it was a very small workshop and so he hadn't met many. And then the few who he has met who have come to France, um, but not many. And that's such a fabulous thing, huh? That wherever we are, <coughs> we're right here together. And we would not have been like this otherwise. I would have continued going three times a year to Portugal. A few people would have come with me. 
Occasionally, someone from Portugal would show up in France. Um, some of those in France would come to a retreat occasionally. Others would come regularly to sit, others not. Uh, just phenomenal that we're all sitting here together. Uh, and this, this too, I think, is you know, opening us all to the burn. And I'm not saying the burn in a negative way, or I'm not saying it like Bernie Sanders, you know, feel the burn. But um, there is an element to that. Feel the burn, not the B-E-R-N of Bernie. Although it's similar, you know, Bernie's thing is about heart and others and whatever. But um, it's feel the, the burn of heart shared heart, of connections, of this, this love that we share, that is not like any other, you know. The, the, the experience of, of Sangha, it, we say it's like family, and it is, but it's not like any family we've ever known. You know, often we have, you know, many of you have no idea what people's names are, except what you read on the screen. And you have no idea what those people do in their lives. You don't really know where they live. You don't even know what they really physically look like, apart from what you can see on the screen. You know? um, and yet, you, there's this really deep connection there. And that has come from this really, what we've thought of as devastating, um, disruption to our usual practice. And yet, wow, what a, what a burn, you know? What a fabulous burn. Um, and light. It's shed new light as well, but oneness. Um, all appearing on this screen, you know, together. Apparently separated by time zones, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kilometers, um, languages, uh, all the differences we have, you know, and yet, we're all one right here on the screen. And we would not have experienced this otherwise. You know, I tried in the early days, as some, some of you know, actually it was like, I think 2006 or seven when I started it, but I really, I tried to find other ways of like bringing the Sangha together. So we did the online part of life retreats. Um, using my blog and having people write things and and it was good. And, and once in a while in Joa's place, we put a computer and there was someone from England joining. Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah, yeah Only yeah. once or twice. Yeah, we tried it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it was Martin actually who joined us. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, uh, it was it was a 
it now seems like kind of a rudimentary attempt to do this, but it did the same thing in its own way at the time. Um, people expressed similar things about feeling close to each other and how much, how important it was to share with each other and hear what people's days were like and having people, you know, on one side of the Indian Ocean and then on the other, and then um, on one side of the Atlantic and then the other, and Southern Europe and Northern Europe. And it really was this same idea. Um, so, I have no regrets about this year. Uh, I, you know, I, I wouldn't wish on anyone the all of the health stuff I've gone through, but um, at the same time, wow, it's such a it's been such a beautiful experience too. Um, And that I think has allowed me also to become a different teacher in a sense. Um, the first time I gave a Dharma talk was a terrible experience. Um, I, I was not used to speaking in front of the Sangha. I've told this story, I'm sure many of you have heard this, but it, I, was, I never talked in the Sangha. You know, in a Dharma talk, I never asked questions. I never raised my hand and offered a comment. It's kind of just, you know, in, on the side, low profile. And then uh, my teacher asked me to give a talk. And I, I didn't know what to say. And so I just sat there and waited to see what was happening and then told people what I was experiencing. Which is what you do in a Dharma talk anyway. Um, but I didn't really know that. Although my teacher had said, just, you know, speak from your heart, say whatever is true for you at that moment. And um, it was terrifying. And after the talk, um, during the talk, actually, I felt like I was so close to everyone. You know, and it was a, quite a big group. It was a week-long retreat and uh, residential in Normandy. And, you know, there were probably 50 people there or something. And um, so, but I felt like I was really close to them. I don't think I was any closer than... The person giving the Dharma talk ever is, but I didn't had never experienced it that before. And then after the talk, I felt like I had no skin. And I I I couldn't for the rest of the day after that, it was this big courtyard in the middle of the, for those of you who know Vimitier, I think there's only two of you here who know it, but um to go anywhere, you had to go across this big open courtyard. And I wanted to just like walk along the walls the whole way, you know, like 
not walk through the middle of the thing because I felt like I didn't have any skin. And this was this was a big this was a radical change for me. And uh, I told I remember telling Roshi, or I even said during the Dharma talk, I think. I feel so close that I feel like I'm among you. You know, I think part of it was that myself, I had always set myself apart. Not because I was thought, probably there was some arrogance, but just because I was kind of shy and reserved, you know, and I didn't really go into the middle of the crowd. I had my few friends, but, you know, I was like off to the side. But this time I said, I feel like I'm among you. And I feel like this experience of this time, this, this new evolution in my process and in our process as a Sangha has been something like that too. You know, I feel like I'm among you in a different way than I did before. And and that's precious. Um, it also has to do with the fact that because others of you have stepped up, especially Joa and then Zhuang, um, have stepped up and taken over to lead these, these groups as well, um, that has allowed me to become more among you. You know, I don't have to be in that front space all the time. I can sit back here with you. Not that I'm back or forth, but I can just be among you in a different way. Um, this is not to say that I'm abandoning my seat because I know that I have to sit in that seat. Um, but this speaks to the, the, the growth, the, the deepening and the awakening of the Sangha too that each of you can take new positions and take on more and be more responsible for your practice and for the practice of the others. Um, you know, showing up here every Thursday night, Monday night, the mornings, that's, like, that's a big responsibility you're taking for your practice. Because you're alone in a sense, you're sitting there in your house it's not like you're in a retreat and we're all living there together and someone rings the bell and we all go sit together. It's, you could just go off and turn off Netflix, turn on Netflix. You, know, you don't have to be sitting here. Um, and maybe you do some nights. Fine, it's okay. Um, it's not that one is better than the other. It's just that showing up here is a sign of maturity and taking responsibility for, for your practice. Feeling the burn to be here with each other, to be there for each other, because it's a big support. So I talked more than I thought. I initially thought, well, let's do a circle tonight. But I thought, well, you know, I'm gonna ask people that's subject to the circle, what has the past year been like? And I thought that might be a bit too much suddenly to like have to look at. Um, maybe we could save that for another time. 
So you have some time now to think about it or something. Um, and now you have the opportunity anyway. Okay. So we have 20 minutes and whatever you would like to say. I'm among you, so I will listen. Wow. Hello. Um, as you were talking, I was, as I was hearing what you were saying um, about what uh, the past year and also this year has brought to to this sangha to to this group of people i was thinking in terms of very concretely the, the this pandemic the virus that kills people and that has killed a lot of people all over the world um it gave us, in a way, it, it gave us or it made possible, I don't know, um, this space that was created of sharing. Um, which for Wildflower in particular, it is maybe I, I think we talked about something like this a few weeks ago uh it maybe in other sanghas uh, it's not so um noticeable of course they of course they they of course now also they don't have a physical space that the physical space that they usually other groups have because we never we never had one in in the same sense anyway um so for us that this coming together it's more uh, maybe a bit more visible let's say um but i was thinking that uh this comes with um uh, all that um death and suffering um which is maybe a way of uh, really grounding this experience. Uh, it's very, it's very real in, in that in, in that sense. It's not just uh, yeah. It's it's uh, it's almost like it's it's founded on that. Um, Yeah, thank you. It's really like um, 
you know, kind of the image of rising from the ashes or something. Or um, this, this experience of such loss uh, is humbling, you know, because we're, we're confronted with our powerlessness, um, with our, our own mortality, even if in our own families we haven't lost someone. But we know, you know, we see every day the number of people who died. Someone told me today, oh yeah, in Portugal, there's only 20 people a day who die. Okay, that sounds like not very much, but each one of those people, each one of those people, is that's a life, you know? And that's really, really humbling, I think. And like you say, it's, we, we are born of that, you know? This experience has been come from that. Joa. Yes. Uh, um, yeah. Thank you for bringing up this this um, subject of heat, and because I it just happens that I was looking at it from a total different angle. Um, I've been thinking the recent the recent days about the notion of uh, nirvana and how it means coolness. And this, this in, in, and how it's about having the experience of cooling things down. The reactivity is a process where there's a lot of, it's the fire of the defilements, greed, anger, and ignorance. And so the, the experience of Nibbana is cooling these fires down. So when you were talking, I was thinking, how does that, how, how does that connect um, with this other kind of warmth? And um, um, maybe there's a, there is a fire that is destructive and, and that burns in the toxic sense. And there's a light that brings warmth and that, that bring this a sense of humanity, humanity in us. Could, could you do that? Yeah. yeah. I was, I was, when I was thinking of the, the you know, the, the cool, this coolness of uh, this Nibbana thing, I was, I was thinking of uh, all the expressions in French we have about, uh, and the passion and, uh, and that talks about that heat, that heat that is really being, that is being destructive for us. But there's another type of heat, which is, which has nothing to do with that. As you said, that you can relate to that, that we experience in when we are vulnerable, when we are, um, yeah. 
And, and maybe too, it's, you know, too much of one or the other is too much. You know, too much coolness. Well, then it's like, you don't feel anything, you're apart from it, uh, you cool, you know. Uh, I'm not, nothing touches me, I'm cool. Uh, and yet at the same time, if we're too hot, then it's this fury emotion and caught by that too. So yeah, it's the middle way, as we say. Yeah, because it, I mean, it's funny in terms of the, the, the evolution itself, it's very lucky that we, we as a species were able to be reactive and that ensured our survival. But also, luckily, we're not always in that reactivity, otherwise life would be totally unbearable. And so we have these moments, these glimpses, these moments of when things cool down and that makes life actually bearable. Christine? Um, yeah, I'm really sorry that I missed the talk of, of uh, Frank. <laughs> I would have liked to be there in, in person. Um, when you talked about choice and while being sick that you didn't have a choice so that you would choose to live that, what you had to live. It made me think of a story I read today of a monk who went into prison and to um, propose meditation and give a little talk or talk to the prisoners. And uh, so one of those prisoners asked him how, how their schedule is. And so he told them, yeah, we get up at three in the night and often it's very cold. And, and then we have this and this to eat, which is not really nice. And we don't have the right to eat after 12 o'clock um, lunchtime. So he has one meal per day. <laughs> um, they have to work from then and then and a lot of sitting and whatever. And he explains his day. <laughs> so. After a while, one of the prisoners said, that's horrible. Don't you want to come here? It's better here. <laughs> we have three meals, three warm meals a day. And, and then they all laughed because they realized what they just said. And then <laughs> they said, so, and you choose to be there. And that what's the difference is, you know, I mean, they didn't choose to be there. And so they didn't, they couldn't enjoy being there. and. But when they saw that he chose having a, a really harder life than they had, <laughs> mm. 
that was a, a nice lesson for them, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, and they too could, and I know I have an example of someone, a friend who, who was in prison, who was a, a Buddhist practitioner and was sent to prison for like 20, more than 20 years. Oh. Yeah. yeah, I rem remember this story. It was, it was a drug dealer, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he said he, when he got in prison and he, he had no choice. If he was going to meditate, it was in those conditions there. And he said he never really meditated until that, until he was in prison. And he, and this was a long time meditator, serious practitioner. You know. But, you know, we, we can choose, we can say, am I willing to, this is my life, you know, this is it. Am I willing to do this as it is? There's something really heartening about that, actually. If you, you know, if you if you look around your life and you say, "This is horrible," am I willing to live this horrible life? But if actually, if you say, "Okay, this is how it is," you know, okay, let's let's do this. This is what I have in my refrigerator tonight for dinner, you know, um, or this is what I have to do tomorrow. Um, Some things are easier to be willing to do than others. I personally really don't like cleaning. So cleaning the bathroom is one of the worst things I can think of. But am I willing to do it? You know? um, am I willing to? And then it changes when I'm doing it. It's different if I take that, if I say, yes, I'm willing to do this. Debbie? Yeah, for me, this is uh, this this is the difference between night and day. I decided um, I have to to follow this no salt diet, so I have to make in the last three or four months. I have to make all my food from scratch, which is not the way I generally eat. Much more Chinese takeout and have more free time. It, it's a big drag, and there are tons of dishes. I just I do dishes all day long, you know. So there's a big resistance building up because there. I, there are things that I like better, and I didn't have any time to do them. So I decided to, um, that's, that, that's doing dishes as punishment. I decided to turn it into a learning experience, and I do dishes with my left hand. So it takes a lot longer, by the way. Not anymore, but it did in the beginning. Washing and drying the other way around, and I got seriously into it. As a matter of fact, some mornings after sitting, I think, what have I got to do? Oh, <laughs> this sounds so weird, but it's true. Oh, I'm going to do dishes, and I get this sort of giddy feeling about it. I mean, not every day, okay, but a lot of times because I've built up this whole doing dishes is fun ethic, and it really it does it changes everything. I'll have to think about cleaning the bathroom with my left hand. Maybe that will change. <laughs> The shower, cleaning the shower with my left hand. 
Good idea. Well, we're about out of time here. Um, it's been a pleasure to spend this evening with you, really. Um, to spend this past year with you. Uh, uh, next Thursday, um, my Dharma sister, Corinne Sensei, will be here speaking. Um, she has not sent me what her talk is about, but she will. I think it has something to do with feminine archetypes or something like that. I don't know, but um, she's a good speaker. She's, if any of you have heard of Dharma talks, she's very entertaining. Um, and then in a few weeks, I will be speaking in Frank's Sangha, Frank Roshi's Sangha. Um, although his Dharma talks are on Saturday morning. So it's the Saturday 27th of March from 11 to 1. But we, I will we'll send out information about that. And he will send me a link. And I will send it out. We'll send it out. So if you, you can join if you want to. Uh, Roshi, the same day when the study group starts, yeah. right? In the afternoon. Yeah, the study group is in the afternoon. Um, this plan with Frank was made long before we made the study group. Right? So. so next Thursday night, uh, Corinne will be here. Um, I will be here as well. And um, see you Monday night before that. And many of you see each other online in the mornings. It's a little complicated for me in the mornings, so I don't make it. But. I'm happy to know that you do and that you're there for each other. So we say the vows. Yeah, thank you. <laughs>